book of Hosea. Hosea, and let me get there myself. Chapter 2, and God willing, we'll be expounding verses 13 through 15. Online viewers, you also are getting an invitation, and you will be able to attend as well, except for the barbecue. All right, you'll have to do that yourself. But uh, you also will be able to participate in the games. We've already figured out uh, how to do all that, and uh, it'll be a good time. So uh, prepare to have a date, a virtual date at home with us. All right. Hosea chapter 2, Hosea chapter 2, the title of the message this morning is Hope in the Valley. Hope in the Valley. There's also a subtitle of this message I've given it, which is Vineyards in the Wilderness. Hope in the Valley. Vineyards in the Wilderness. I told you last Sunday that the book of Hosea was not all gloom and doom. There's a bunch of it in there, but it's not all gloom and doom. No matter what your circumstance is, no matter how far you have gone in the wrong direction, or how bad you've rebelled against the Lord, He is still not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Israel had traveled a long way from God. They had openly and flagrantly rebelled against Him by serving false gods, from the nations around them. In the previous verses, God told them just how things were between Him and them. He said, You are not my people, and I will not be your God. Then the Lord told them how He was going to destroy their nation because of their rebellion. And He's going to continue uh, to do that in our text this morning. But in the, in the preceding verses... We see the great wrath of God tempered with the great love and wisdom of God. In verse 13, God told Israel, And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. I thank you for those who came to church this morning to set their day aside so they could hear your word be taught. So they could worship with the other believers and be edified by your spirit and your truth. And Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will teach us this morning, settle our hearts, remove any uh, distractions, Father. And help us, Lord, to bend our ears toward heaven and hear what you have to say in your word, the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He says, and I will visit upon her the days of Balaam wherein she burned incense to them. If you're not familiar with the word Baal or Balaam, it can be confusing. Baal basically means owner or Lord. So while the name Baal may refer to a specific false god, it can also refer to a number of different false gods, depending on who you considered your Lord to be. This could be Baal, that could be Baal, that could be Baal, you see. So Baal is the singular form, like the word Lord would be to us. And Balaam is the plural form, like the word Lords would be to us. So when God says he's going to uh, uh, visit days of Balaam, he's, when he says the days of Balaam, he's referring to the time 
when Israel worshipped the false gods, plural, of the nations around them. He said they were days wherein she, that is Israel, burn incense to them. See the plural there? Balaam and them, instead of Baal and him. And she burned incense to them, and by burning incense to them, that was a perversion of the true worship of God that he had shown his people. If you'll notice in the tabernacle, they had an altar of what? Incense. They burned incense to the one true God. You say, well, yeah, but uh, uh, maybe they got that from uh, the Baal worshipers. Maybe, maybe uh, that's where the incense came from. Never think that God copied any false religion. <laughs> that's what the secular people that want you to think. But the truth is just the opposite. The devil is not a creator. He copies and perverts everything that God does. Uh, they burned incense to their false gods, but Israel burned incense in the temple to the one true God. And even though it may not be recorded in Scripture before the tabernacle, I believe there was incense burnt to God in some divinely revealed and accepted form that God had shown it in, uh, just like uh, uh, the days of Melchizedek, when uh, he was a priest of the Most High God, before the Aaronic priesthood was uh, given in God's law. If you'd notice, when God instituted the tabernacle worship, He incorporated many of the sacrificial activities that were documented by believers far earlier than the tabernacle was ever given, such as that of Abel, who offered an acceptable sacrifice to God. So instead of burning incense to the God who brought them out of Egypt, they burned incense to false gods, offering odors to idols. They were giving sweet prayers, which is what the incense represented, sweet prayers to the works of their own hands. God said he was going to visit those days of false worship upon Israel. What does it mean to visit those days upon them? Well, sometimes when we see someone doing something wrong... And appearing to get away with it, we'll say, one day, that's going to catch up with you. That's what Hosea is talking about here. One day in the future, the days of your past is going to catch up with you. And as it was true with Israel, so it's true with us. That's what God is telling them. He's saying, I will make those days of idolatry catch up to you. I will visit those days upon you. Here's a kingdom truth this morning if you're taking notes. You can't outrun your sin. No matter how far it is behind you, it will one day catch up to you. And you will have to endure the hardship of your disobedience to God. I'll say that again. You can't outrun your sin. No matter how far it is behind you, it will one day catch up to you, and you will have to endure the hardship of your disobedience to God. The Lord said, Israel burned incense to her false gods. Look back in your text. And she decked herself with earrings, her earrings and her jewels. She got all dressed up for her idols, her false lovers. Instead of loving the one true God, she loved her false gods and and it has the idea of a woman getting all fixed up for them. Like a vain woman 
whose identity is based on her outward appearance rather than her inward character. She started decking herself with earrings and jewels. Did you know people who are empty on the inside, they'll often wear more trinkets on the outside to make up for it? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen those rap stars? Those rap stars are rapping about nothing. But they love hanging that gold jewelry on them. Just stacking stuff on them. A lot of people who have no baseline in the world. No real foundation. Spiritual foundation. They want to start poking stuff in them. And putting junk all over them. Or maybe a woman will put on a whole bunch of extra makeup and junk. And, 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 and because they're empty on the inside. Here's a kingdom truth. Outward apparel doesn't raise your inward price. Outward apparel doesn't raise your inward price. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 4, tells women that their adorning should, quote, not be that outward adorning of, the, of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. In other words, that which cannot be seen on the inside, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God... Is a, which is in the sight of God of great price. Israel had no meek and quiet spirit of submission to God. She had no great price. Israel was worthless in the state she was in. There was no holy submission to her that God could look at and say, I value that. So she resorted to the outward apparel because she was empty inwardly. She failed to understand that true beauty is our love for our Creator. Holiness had no appeal to her, but earthly treasures did. So she decked herself with them. Look back in your text. And she went after her lovers. She put them on, got herself all fixed up, and went after her lovers. That means she pursued her false gods who cared nothing about her. The exact opposite of God. God loved her. Those false gods, they don't care about who you are on the inside. But God cares about who you are on the inside. Isn't it amazing how false Christians today do the same thing? They deck themselves up outwardly to pursue their false God in the name of Jesus. Yeah, false Christians do that. They deck themselves outwardly. False Christianity doesn't care about who you are inwardly. It cares about what you have outwardly. Think about it. False Christianity does not care about who you are inwardly. It cares about what you have outwardly. That's why they preach a gospel that tells you how to get rich in this world's goods. Their pastors preach a gospel that tells you how to get them rich. (laughs) So then you can turn around and get yourself rich. We've all heard people do that in so-called churches. Those are not true churches. They're false teachers. They're decking themselves outwardly and running to their false gods. God said Israel did that, look back in your text, and forget me, saith the Lord. They forgot all about God because they were pursuing something else. Underscore the words went after in your Bible. Underscore went after. 
Now underscore the words forget or forgot is what we would say. Forgot. Went after and forgot. Here's a kingdom truth. If you are pursuing something besides God, then your heart is running from God. If you're pursuing something besides God, then your heart is running from God. What are you pursuing today? What are you going after today? What are, you, what are your desires today in your pursuit in life today? If you are not pursuing God, then you're running from God. They were running after their own lusts. And they forgot the God who loved them. So God said, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Now, you know what it means to allure somebody. You know what it means to allure somebody? I'll use my, my fake $20 bill here. It's got President Trump on it. Someone gave it to me. I've been using it as a bookmarker ever since. I don't know why, but I have. It makes a good bookmarker. But let's pretend like it's real money. And let's say I've got Leah over here. And I say, hey, little girl, would you like some money? I'm not embarrassing you, am I, sweetheart? I think I am. Hey, little girl, would you like some money? And I try to lure her out. It's not working for her. What if it was real money? Boy, I bet I could get most all of you, couldn't I? Hey, come on. Y'all, come on. I got this for you. God says, here's what I'm going to do. Israel has done me so wrong. She's been all caring about what she is on the outside. Not who she is on the inside. She's been pursuing her false gods, her lusts. This worldly lust. And she's forgotten all about me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allure her. Men, have you ever allured a woman before? Yeah, that's how you got married, right? Allured her. Come on, look at me, big muscles, nice car, whatever, you know. Have those one-liners, and you just sweep that woman off your feet. God says, I'm going to lure her. I'm going to make her love me. But watch how he does it. It's not with money. It's not with handsomeness and big muscles and sweet talk. He says, I'm going to allure her, look back in your text, and bring her into the wilderness. Oh, man. Now, you know what the wilderness is. The wilderness, that's where Israel, they left Egypt. And God took them to the wilderness. There wasn't any food in the wilderness, Brother Doug. There was no groceries in the wilderness. So it's what you say. I love groceries, he says. There's no groceries in the wilderness. God had to provide manna. God had to provide water. The wilderness is, uh, for them, that's like a desert. How, how would you like it if your, husband, if your boyfriend said, if you were dating someone, your boyfriend said, uh, I tell you what we'll do. I'm going to take you on a date out in the desert. You know? Come on, I'm going I'm to bring you out here in that 180-something degree weather. I know it didn't get that hot. But I'm going to bring you out here where there's nothing. And we're going to go out in the desert together. You wouldn't want to do that. But God said, I'm going to lure her. I'm going to bring her into the wilderness. Watch this now.
It doesn't sound alluring. But that's where God's going to bring her. Wilderness is a picture of hardship in the Bible. The wilderness is a picture of difficulty in the Bible. And trial in the Bible. Where was Jesus taken when he was tempted of the devil? In the wilderness. Where was Israel tried and tested? In the wilderness. But he said, I'm going to allure her in the wilderness. Look back in your text and speak comfortably unto her. God is speaking uncomfortably to Israel in the promised land. Isn't he? Remember all the gloom and doom? I'm going to judge her. I'm going to visit the days of Balaam on her. I'm going to destroy her land and drive her out and all these things. All the gloom and doom we've been reading that God's going to punish Israel for the worship of her false gods. He was speaking uncomfortably to her while she was still in the promised land. He says, but I'm going to lure her out in the wilderness. And when I get her there, then I'm going to speak comfortably to her. I'm speaking harsh to her now. I'll speak soft and tender to her when I get her out in the wilderness. See what God's doing? While she's decked with jewelry, enjoying a full belly and having a good time with her false gods, living it up in the promised land, she has no need for comforting words, does she? She thinks she has it all. But she doesn't know, as the book of Revelation says, that she is poor and miserable and blind and naked without God. So God in His great love for Israel is going to allure her to a place in history when she is so broken and in despair that she will be able to appreciate and thank God for speaking to her the promise of hope again. You don't think you need hope when you have everything, do you? Here's a kingdom truth. Our calamity often comes in paradise. Our comfort often comes in the wilderness. We'll say that again. Calamity often comes in paradise. Comfort often comes in the wilderness. Where did the first calamity on earth happen at? In the Garden of Eden. In paradise. Right then in paradise, Adam was surrounded by food he could freely eat. He had no need of anything. If God would have come in and spoke comfortably to Adam, he would have thought, What's this all about? I have no need of anything. I'm healthy, I'm alive, everything's going great for me, I'm living in paradise. But once he got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, where sin entered into the world, and then death by sin, once he got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, he needed comfort then, didn't he? He needed hope then. My little granddaughter yesterday, one of my little granddaughters, not this one, but uh, Lauren's baby, she was given a... uh, a, trice, uh, a bicycle and uh, she's such a little bitty thing and she got on that bicycle and she said bye mama and she started trying to ride that little bicycle in their, their living room you know and, uh, and so she thought she was going to go to the park with daddy and when she learned that actually her bicycle trip was in the living room with mama 
It didn't go over too well. And like a, like a good female, she did all the stuff she should have done. She went, collapsed on the ground like that and started wailing, just crying. It was just devastating to her. Next thing you know, we get a video. It looked like Daddy had her out in the park on that bicycle. She didn't need comfort until she realized she wasn't going to the park. And then when the sadness came, when the sorrow came, that's when she needed words of hope. Daddy will take you. I'll take you out there, sweetheart. But God uses uh, uh, our calamity to bring us into the wilderness that He might speak comfort to us. He uses hardships to strip us down to nothing so we can finally see Him as everything we've ever needed. God says, I'm going to do this to Israel. Verse 15, and I will give her her vineyards from thence. This is strong doctrine here. Pay attention. Folks, vineyards don't grow in the wilderness, do they? But God's vineyards do. How many of y'all, if you had the chance right now, how many of y'all would love to see and eat manna? Oh man, I'd love to. I'd love to try that out. How many of y'all, if you could right now, would love to drink water coming from a rock right here? There's only one place in the Bible where that happened. That was the wilderness. The only place. That's where God gives His vineyards at. Is in the dry places. Where did God give us eternal life? At the cross, a place of death. Where did we inherit our blessing? At the cross where Jesus inherited our curse. He says, I will give her her vineyards from thence. Vineyards don't grow in the wilderness, but that's where Israel's vineyards are going to come from. Hope doesn't come from despair, but that's where ours comes from. God gave the law where? In the wilderness. But from that law of despair, remember that law in the wilderness? God's thundering on Mount Sinai. There's an earthquake and there's smoke and there's lightning and thunder and the people are so afraid. Thou shalt have no gods before me. God gave the law in the wilderness. But from that law of despair, we receive the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're in the wilderness today. If you are, be a good cheer. Because God gives vineyards there. God said, look back in your text, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. I'm going to give them vineyards in the wilderness, and I'm going to give them the valley of Achor for a door of hope. What is the valley of Achor? The valley of Achor refers to the place where Achan, if you remember your Old Testament, Achan, he coveted the cursed thing from the battle of Ai. And God destroyed Achan and his family. 
Israel suffered defeat. Excuse me, they suffered defeat. He took the cursed thing and they suffered defeat from Ai. I misspoke, I'm sorry. But he, he, he took the accursed thing that he was not supposed to in war. And then they suffered defeat from Ai. And the Valley of Achor was the place of punishment. Where Achan and his family died. A place of divine judgment. That's the Valley of Achor. But God here says he's going to give the Valley of Achor. And it would be a door of hope. You see what Israel's going through whenever God judges them for their sin? It's going to be their valley of Achor. It's going to be their wilderness, drove, driven out into the wilderness. But God says, I'll give you vineyards in the wilderness. I'll take the valley of Achor that you're going to experience, and I'm going to give it to you as a door of hope. Here's a kingdom truth. Divine pain always has a divine purpose. Divine pain always has a divine purpose. If, if you've run a long way from God, and if you've been living in the valley of Achor, because you haven't been living for God as you should, and now you're in trouble, now your past has caught up to you, you not pursuing God, you were running from God, and now you've run from God, and now you've run into trouble. And now your life is a mess. You're hurting and you're in despair because of the sins you've committed. Be of good cheer. For your valley of Achor can be a door of hope for you. All Israel had to do was acknowledge her wrong and turn back to her God. That swings the door open back to God. If the trouble they were in caused them to seek the God they left, then that trouble would become the very door of hope for them and the very door of hope for you and me. God said, look back in your text, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. She'll sing there. The place where she's in trouble. The place of the wilderness. The place of despair. The place of punishment and judgment for her sin. I will make her sing. And how will she sing? She'll sing as in the days of her youth. The days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Now, when, when they came up out of the land of Egypt, that was a picture of our salvation. The blood of the Passover lamb was shed. And God, through the power of that Passover lamb, delivered them out of their bondage to Egypt. They were saved from Egypt. That was a picture of us being saved from sin through our Passover lamb, Jesus, on the cross. And sometimes after we become Christians, after we're saved, we can stumble off into trouble like Lot did when he went into Sodom. We can stumble off into trouble. We can pursue things. Instead of pursuing God, we can pursue other things. And next thing you know, our life is in a mess. And when we first became Christians, we were excited about it. We were living for God. We were wanting to read our Bible. We wanted to pray. Everything's new. And then suddenly we get away from God. We're not living for God as we should. 
And we think, I don't know if I can ever be happy and excited and feel as forgiven and free and pure and clean as I was back then when I first became a believer. I've done so many things and I've done wrong to my God who loved me and gave himself for me. But you know what God's telling us today? In the wilderness. Yes, in the valley of Achor where he's whipping you hard. He will give it to you as a door of hope. And if you will confess your sin to God and turn from that disobedience to serving your Lord again, He says, here's what I'll do. I'll take the valley you're in. And in the valley where you're at today, I'll make you sing and rejoice in me just like back here when you were first saved. Isn't that amazing? That's the grace of our God. He loves you. He'll never give up on you. If you believe in Him as your Savior. He said she shall sing there as in the days of her youth. And as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. God would restore her as He will restore us. To the joy we once had when we walked with God. God can do this with a man. God can do this with a family. God can do this with a nation. The wilderness will give a vineyard. The valley of trouble will become your door of hope. And God will take you back and restore you back to those happy days when you first left Him, before you first left Him. With that, we'll go ahead and close. What an incredible, comforting thing this morning. We've been reading all this gloom and doom, all of this judgment from God. And then we see that there is a divine purpose in that divine pain. When God sends you into trouble like that, don't ever forget there's a divine purpose behind it. And if it is to chastise you for your wrong, then become a hinge and turn back to God. And as you turn back to God, that valley would become a door of hope, swinging you back in to the joy you once had before. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you, Father God, that you're so good to us and you love us so much. You're not going to let us continue on in our sin. We thank you, Lord, that you're true to your holiness, Lord. You will not compromise with our unrighteous lifestyle. We will suffer. The day of sin will catch up to us. You will visit those days upon us. We can't outrun our wrong. But we're so grateful, Father, that when it catches up and you strip us down of what all we had before and we realize, Lord, our wrong. That the valley is not the end. If we'll turn to you. It will be the beginning Father. Of returning back to where we once were before. I pray if there's any like that here today. That their valley of Acor Father will soon become a door of hope. And also pray dear Lord God. If there's any here today that do not know you as their savior. They've never been born again. 
Lord, we know, Father God, ultimately, Father, apart from Christ, they'll perish forever. There is no forgiveness apart from Jesus. And Father, we pray you'll bring them to your gospel where they can believe on your Son and be saved. We ask in his presence.